Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Stuart Varney. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, February 16th, 2024. I'm Jared Halpern. A court date is set in the first felony trial for former President Trump. Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream explains the balance between courtroom and campaign appearances. If you've got a private jet and you can be in court all day saying, look at them beating me up and bringing these charges, and you can just go somewhere every night and rally people to say, look, I told you, and this is true, and this is proving it, I think with his really hardcore supporters, it's only going to make them dig in more. And Lisa Brady, February is American Heart Month, a good time to learn about keeping your heart healthy and finding out if it's not. The biggest issue, the, the, the biggest barrier for heart disease treatments is awareness, and people just aren't aware of their potential issues. And this is Rachel Cruz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. A date is set for a first-of-its-kind trial for a former president. New York Supreme Court Justice Juan Mershon denied a motion to dismiss charges against former President Trump in a case alleging he falsified business records to make hush money payments to an adult film star during his run for president in 2016. Jury selection will begin on March 25th for the first criminal prosecution ever of a former president. So it's a very unfair situation. They want to keep me nice and busy so I can't campaign so hard. Former President Trump is called the criminal case and three others he's facing election interference at the direction of the Justice Department. After the trial date was set for next month, he told reporters he'd campaign in the evening. We'll just have to figure it out. I'll be here during the day and I'll be campaigning during the night. Biden should be doing the same thing, but he'll be sleeping. As that decision in New York was delivered, more than 800 miles to the southwest in an Atlanta courtroom, the Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, testified in a hearing about her prosecution of the former president and many others connected to efforts to overturn the 2020 election. I've probably said some choice things to him about some of the lies they were told. Okay. And been printed in the media because, you know, we used to be in a day and time where you had 60 minutes and people did stories and they verified information um, and you had this great reporting. But it seems today that a lawyer writes a lie and then it's printed for all of the world to see. Attorneys for former President Trump and other defendants say Willis should be removed from the case because of a romantic relationship with a special prosecutor she hired to lead her investigation. The split-screen legal proceedings highlight the legal and political challenges facing the far-and-away favorite for the Republican nomination. I mean, we're talking about dozens of counts of felony criminal accusations. Now, Thankfully, in our country, you're innocent until proven guilty. So there's a long way to go in these prosecutors having to come forward and show their evidence. Shannon Bream is Fox News legal affairs correspondent and the anchor of Fox News Sunday. If he's convicted, that's a different story. It doesn't stop him from running. 
But there is some softening in the polls if he is convicted on criminal charges. But for now, the majority of people say when you poll GOP potential voters, they don't really care. And the more that he's in court and can come out and say, this is the establishment after me, this is not a you know prosecution only, it's a persecution, it's worked really well for him in fundraising, in polling, in wiping out nearly all of his uh, rivals, and they've been forced to rush to his defense time and time again with these hearings. So listen, this campaign is going to be unlike any we've seen before, especially if we have a rematch of 2020, which poll, right. you know, polling showed us people didn't want it. But if you've got a private jet and you can be in court all day saying, look at them beating me up and bringing <laughs> these charges, and you can just go somewhere every night and rally people to say, look, I told you, and this is true, and this is proving it. I think with his really hardcore supporters, it's only going to make them dig in more. And I really do want to start, actually, with what's happening in Georgia. So much of what's happening now are are these two days of hearings on this alleged improper relationship between the the DA in Fulton County, Fonnie Willis, and the attorney she hired to kind of lead the investigation. I guess my question is, if there was a relationship that predated her appointing him, why is that grounds then to kind of dismiss the whole case? Nathan Wade, I mean, he's facing the possibility that he didn't tell the truth or fully tell the truth. But the question, I think, gets to be, was there a misuse of state money? Was there money that Fonnie Willis at some point was using to pay him that he was then benefiting her by going on vacations and those kinds of things? So it's a question about improper use of funds. He has said over and over again that they split their vacations, that she paid him back in cash whenever he put something on a credit card or paid for a cruise or some other trip. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, cash is untraceable in these transactions. So, you know, he's testifying under oath. That's what happened. But But it really gets to the fact of did they abuse or misuse funds Um, more personally to them? It would be whether they lied under oath at any point. Bottom line, though, this thing was roughly supposed to start in August. If you bounce a prosecutor or two, you could have to reconfigure the legal team could certainly end up with a very lengthy delay if the judge decides something nefarious was going on. Because a lot of the questions that have happened on Thursday, too, have kind of been on timeline. Um, The attorney Wade says that the relationship with Willis started after she had appointed him in this special investigative role. Um, um, Does that matter in the context of whether or not a judge kind of allows this case to move forward? I think it really goes back to the money again. If it's traceable that she hired and paid him and then he used that money to benefit her in some way, which I think is going to be tough for them to connect all those dots. But it's really about the flow of that money. And and so that would certainly be an abuse of power, I suppose, is the allegation. So if that were to be found and the judge says, yeah, I think that occurred, is the next step to remove Willis as the prosecutor? And if that's the case, does it go away Mm -hmm. for everybody? And what about the people who have already pleaded guilty? Well, so, you know, if this judge decides to say uh, that Fonnie Willis can't continue to prosecute this case or Nathan Wade can't either or, obviously, she would be a much bigger blow to this. Because if you put together a new prosecution team, what if they decide that they present this case and they don't even bring charges or they bring different Mm. charges or lesser charges? So they would essentially have to start at square one. They could. I mean, that wow. that's okay. the worst case scenario for the Georgia prosecutors, best case scenario for Trump and his legal team and all those other defendants. So let's turn then to um, New York. This is another state prosecution that um, 
deals with uh, that hush money payment uh, back during the former president's first run for office. So this is being brought forward by uh, the Manhattan DA. Mm -hmm. Uh, The judge has said that he is not dismissing and that uh, this trial is what going to start next month. It sounds like they're going to start jury selection March 25th. So, as you know, the wow. president, former president, has a very busy schedule. <laughs> looking at the election. Sorry, I was just looking at the, the, yeah. the primary calendar. I'm trying to. Yeah, to I do mean, the that's just one of the many things. <laughs> but remember, you know, Jack Smith has wanted to start his trial on the January yeah. 6th obstruction, those kinds of charges, March 4th. That's most certainly that not seems happening. unlikely at this point. Yeah. Seems very unlikely at this point. But gosh, there's going to be a jam up at some point of these multiple cases. You've got the Mar-a-Lago documents case that was supposed to begin in May. Um, these cases can't overlap. And I think the judges will and these courts will have to have some, you know, coordination on that front, because okay. some of these things he's required, the former president is required to be in the courtroom for the federal criminal cases unless something else has been worked out. It isn't like the Georgia case, which is RICO and, you know, 18, yeah. 19 defendants and all these other people. So I think you're talking about, uh, you know, a matter of a couple weeks on the wow, New okay. York. I mean, that's just a guess on that one. Let me finish with the legal aspect, because you did bring up uh, sort of the special counsel and what his timeline was looking like. The Supreme Court has now, do they have everything they need to, to figure out this question of immunity as it relates to the January 6th trial? Yeah, it sounds like it. So you've got uh, former President Trump and his legal team asking the Supreme Court to stay that decision that Mm -hmm. went against him on the immunity issue. They filed for the stay. And here's this expedited um, schedule, possibly for briefing and arguing this case. You know, their term ends the end of June. And, um, you know, Smith is asking for something much quicker than that if they take it. and they do seem to, to be inclined to expedite when they need to. I mean, you and I mm-hmm. were in arguments in, in the Colorado ballot case, right. and, and we're waiting an opinion on that. But that was a wildly fast timeline for the Supreme oh, Court. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you say that to people, somebody said to me, why don't we have a decision yet on the Colorado ballot case? And I'm like, <laughs> you do not understand. This has been lightning speed. This court, it takes years to get there. And you and I have just witnessed yeah. this happening in weeks. So I do think we get that Colorado decision pretty quickly. And I think the immunity decision could come pretty quickly, too. I mean, I, oh. they have what they need to, to sit down and vote. Um, we know they're in conference on Friday. Uh, If they don't vote before then, they can vote anytime. But we Mm. know they do work on these, you know, Friday conferences, take votes on cases and that kind of thing. So I would imagine we can get an order relatively quickly from the court saying we're in or we're out on the immunity issue. Uh, We'll be watching for that. Let's uh, talk a little bit about what was another unprecedented moment, really, was the um, Intelligence Committee chairman Mm -hmm. putting out a, a kind of cryptic message that there is this national security concern that is so great that it needs to be declassified so it can be openly discussed with allies and and members Mm -hmm. of Congress, took this step to make that available to to members of Congress, wants the president to declassify it. Obviously, a lot of reporting done by uh, especially our own Jackie uh, Heinrich here at the White House Mm -hmm. um, indicates that this is a new capability uh, in the Russian military. It's not operative, but it's worrisome. What do we make of all of this, given, you know, the debate with um, Ukraine aid and, and kind mm-hmm. of growing concerns about this geopolitical? Uh... There were so many statements that came out that said we've been aware of this threat. It's based on raw intelligence. It is not something happening today or tomorrow, but it is a, a medium to long term issue that we've got to handle. So, you know, Mike Turner coming out, the chairman um 
you know, making this statement raised a lot of eyebrows. They were about to in the House debate the FISA yes. framework, which were led to believe that's where this raw intelligence came from was through the use of FISA. So, so some of those provisions like, expire in April. Congress is going to have to renew mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Right. And it allows surveillance of communications and those kinds yeah. of things. And so there are a lot of conservatives who are very, very upset about the use of ice. And listen, I got to say, some folks on the left, too, are out there saying yeah. there should be no use of this that's that accidentally or purposefully scoops up Americans, which does happen. We've got, obviously, Fourth Amendment rights and all kinds of things. So there's a, an interesting coalition of left and right who say we've got major problems with FISA. It, it got yanked. The speaker pulled it from consideration yeah. after this Mike Turner announcement. So the question was, did Mike Turner feel like um, it was a good argument for FISA? Let's put it out there. Did he feel like it's a good argument for more um, aid to Ukraine? Let's get it out there. Or was there something else? But um, mm. the timing just made a lot of our antenna go up. And you're right. There, given even the, the narrow margins of, of difference in the parties, there is also some bipartisan concerns, some civil libertarian mm-hmm. concerns from Republicans yep. and Democrats. And there are arguments that we've been hearing, you know, really since the aftermath of 9-11, when Pfizer really was put to the forefront, expanded. And certainly there has been a lot of criticism of the way that Pfizer was used um, as part of the Mueller report mm-hmm. and in the sort of investigation that predated the Mueller report. Right. That, that's where a lot of the Republican right. specifically concerns are. are Rooted. Yeah. And the, and the tricky thing with FISA is it's ex parte, meaning that only one side is represented. The mm-hmm. government goes in and says, we have this, you know, concern. We need a warrant. So there's no one showing up from the other side because you can't tip them off. You can't say like, oh, yeah, we're going to drag <laughs> this person in here and let them fight about whether we can get a warrant or not. But because yeah. of that, the FISA courts are exceptionally powerful. And we saw mm-hmm. exposure about you know, was information falsified that was given to the FISA court? And is that how some of these warrants were obtained? And I think a lot of that blew up in the wake of the Mueller investigation and has made people very skeptical about it, lawmakers and everyday Americans alike. Shannon Bream, appreciate the time as always. Thanks, Jared. Always great to chat with you. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. This is Rachel Cruz with your Fox News commentary coming up. The human heart works hard, beating more than two and a half billion times in an average 70-year lifespan. But it also takes work to keep a heart healthy, which is why February is American Heart Month, raising awareness about who's at risk for heart disease and how to help avoid it. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends not smoking, reducing salt, saturated and trans fats, and exercising. The general recommendations from the CDC are to aim for obtaining 150 to 300 minutes of physical activity at a moderate intensity per week. But Cassandra Ledman of Purdue University says regardless of the amount or type of exercise, consistency is the key. What's been proven is that all-cause mortality and numerous other disease risks will be substantially reduced if an individual is consistently participating in an exercise over time. 
Women are a special focus for this year's awareness campaign. The CDC says nearly half of U.S. women don't realize that heart disease is the leading cause of death for women. In general, there's a heart attack every 40 seconds in the U.S., and someone dies from cardiovascular disease every 33 seconds. As we all know, heart disease is the leading cause of mortality globally. Dr. Craig Bassman is associate director for the Structural and Congenital Heart Program at Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey. He says understanding family history is the first step, but other risk factors can be addressed, including blood pressure, cholesterol, and obesity. And there's so many numerous avenues to kind of enhance the outcomes through both prevention and intervention techniques that we now have as a cardiology community. And I think that the biggest issue, the the, the biggest barrier for heart disease treatments is awareness. And people just aren't aware of their potential issues, family histories, lifestyle, diet, all these sorts of things. And, a big, and that's why I think globally heart disease is the number one killer. I feel like we take our hearts for granted. You could you could certainly say that, you know, and, and these again, the, the, the heart, there's so many components to the heart. You know, there's the valves, there's the, the, the vessels that supply the heart, there's the electrical aspect of the heart, and there's the actual pump function. I mean, the heart is a muscle that, you know, needs needs blood supply, needs nutrients as well. And all these things factor into why we're seeing so much heart disease. A lot of things could go wrong with all those different parts. Um, but I know blood pressure is a big part of all of this, right? The threshold for what's considered normal blood pressure, quote unquote, was lowered in recent years um, in the U.S. at least. Has that change registered with people? Are they paying more attention to that? I think that in terms of blood pressure, it blood pressure is a long term thing. And it's, you know, it's over your lifestyle. We need to control the blood pressure to an acceptable level. And, you know, whether the de- definition is 120 millimeters of mercury or 130 millimeters of mercury, um, it's really negligible effects um, having a difference in 120, 130. And I think globally, we just have to focus on awareness for blood pressure and the tre- and, and the importance of treatment. And, and if we can get people to an acceptable level, whether you want to call that 120 or 130, uh, it doesn't really matter that much. I think just mostly the, the aim of blood pressure is controlling it over your lifespan with things like medications, diet, exercise, reducing salt intake. I know there's been much more of an emphasis in recent years or recent decades, really, on women's heart health and awareness. Is it a more serious problem for women or was it just that women were not as aware or not paying as much attention to their heart health? It's a a great point because, you know, a lot of the risk factors are more common in men and heart disease in general is more common in the male population, but we're under treating women. And that's purely based on the lack of awareness that we're not focusing our resources towards heart health in the women population. And, and there's been in a tremendous surge in terms of activity amongst the cardiology community, community focusing on women's heart health and awareness for that. Uh, and, and improving awareness is going to eventually improve outcomes in the, the women population because even though perhaps they have less heart disease proportionally and statistically compared to men, there's still a large sample size that are having heart disease. It's still the number one, you know, number one killer. So, you know, we really have to combat that. Certainly when things go wrong, this can all contribute to very bad outcomes, the stroke, <laughs> um, heart attack, death. In terms of terminology, though, 
heart disease. That phrase has always confused me a little bit. How is heart disease different than other types of heart conditions or things that could lead to a heart attack? You know what I mean? Is, is what, what's under the category of heart disease? I like to divide it up into four components of the heart. And all of them can have disease, right? There's the pump, which is the actual muscle of the heart. And the pump is, uh, as I said, a muscle. And that can weaken over time. And that's what we refer to as heart failure. Then there's the vessels of the heart, right? Those are the, the, the blood vessels that supply the heart with oxygen and with nutrients. And these vessels over time can have blockages, right? Which we commonly uh, associate with the possibility of heart attacks. So, you know, blockages can create heart attacks. And, and with lack of blood flow to the heart, there's other issues that can be, patients are predisposed to, things like arrhythmias, things like heart failure as well. So there's the vessels. Then there's the electrical system. We can have the heart go too slow, which is a problem in the elderly, and arrhythmias, uh, which can also happen in the young patients where the heart goes too fast and put patients in danger. And lastly, there's the valves. So that's the fourth component. Valves job open like a door, let blood flow out, close like a door so blood doesn't go back into the heart chamber. And these valves can get become faulty over time. So there's really many components of heart disease. And, and I think that globally, you know, and, and when we talk about heart awareness, predominantly we're trying to focus on reducing heart attacks. But there's so many different components of the heart. And, and now at this stage in the field, we have subspecialists for each category. And we also have sub-subspecialists among those categories as well. What should people do to take better care of their hearts overall? I think the number one risk factor is your genes and and that we can't control but diet and lifestyle are what we can modify and and so the question is is how aggressive do we need to be because you know the problem with all these dietary studies that we see is they're observational studies so you know we talk about a true vegan diet is associated with decreased strokes decreased heart attacks but at the same time you know who are the people that are probably a little more physically active and 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 the people that have probably healthier lifestyle. Uh, anecdotally, we see that all the time. Um, so, you know, diet we know is important and we can, we can, we can, we can make measures to, re- to improve our diet. Um, the question is, is how aggressive do we need to be? And, 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 you know, I think that there are some that are very strict. Um, for me, I, I try to just counsel patients in moderation. You know, uh, the, the, the dietary guidelines recommend something like red meats and processed foods, you know, once a week. And I think that, you know, we don't want to cut those things out, but at the same time, we need to moderate that. The biggest pandemic that we have in this, 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 this community is, is obesity. And now we have drugs uh, that, that, are, that are focused on reducing those things. But before we even jump to those drugs, it's lifestyle modifications. It's things like diet and then in trying to and trying to exercise. And in every study we've ever looked at, exercise is associated with reduced cardiovascular outcomes as well. There's always a question of how much exercise is needed to make a difference, because it can be very discouraging if you're assuming that you need to spend an hour a day at the gym. Um, right. <laughs> is that something right. where, you know, even in moderation, it does help? Yeah, I think that exercise has consistently demonstrated positive cardiovascular effects. 
but committing time and effort to the gym can can it can be challenging and especially when we're talking about individuals who are working extended hours or have family obligations as well you know i mean uh, uh children at home it can be it can be difficult so uh you know I, I think that the best thing is just uh some cardiovascular some increasing heart rate and and doing some aerobic exercise at least a few times a week getting the heart rate up it doesn't have to be an hour in the gym but even 20 minutes three times a week is better than nothing. And, and I think that, you know, the difference between 20 minutes, three times a week versus someone that does one hour every single day, I don't know that downstream you're going to have that much of a reduced heart disease based on the fact that you go to the gym for longer. I think that a, a, a small amount, it, it will help a lot. There's a recent lawsuit that is arguing you can cause permanent damage to the heart by drinking too much caffeine. And this has to do with a sort of a charged beverage that is sold at a restaurant chain. There have been lawsuits blaming deaths on that, but now there's this new lawsuit that says, hey, this is causing permanent heart damage. What's your take on that? We all have to understand that caffeine and these sort of sugar drinks can precipitate arrhythmias and heart conditions. The In an underlying normal heart, I, it, it would be not very, it would be unlikely for that to happen. But once you have an arrhythmia, there's downstream effects. I mean, if 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 you have an arrhythmia that's not caught quickly and, and it leads to cardiac arrest, I mean, these are potential uh, issues that you're going to deal with for the rest of your life and many people won't survive, right? I mean, cardiac arrest, we know 90% of people outside the hospital don't survive. So to say that caffeine, ha- caffeine is the direct cause of long-term issues with the heart, I think is, is, is it's inaccurate. But to say that caffeine can precipitate a pre-existing heart condition that can lead to heart damage, that's obviously accurate. And, 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 and really the battle will be, how do we screen for these things? How do we find the patients that are, that are predisposed to having arrhythmias, especially the younger population, and that we have to caution things like energy drinks in? One last thing, in your experience, is there something that people overlook when it comes to their heart health or maybe a misconception about, you know, how much is too much of things like caffeine or how much is not enough in terms of exercise or something like that, something that people are are overlooking or looking at the wrong way? Well, I think that, you know, recent events, and we've seen a lot of sudden cardiac death in the news with some prominent athletes. And, and, and based on recent events, even though there hasn't been a surge, uh, if you look from a nationwide standpoint of cardiac events in the young population, but you know, one is too many. And, uh, and I think that one of the things that we need to focus on as a, as a whole nation and as a, as a cardiology community is how we screen young athletes, how we screen young patients for potential heart disease that could you know, lead to devastating uh, events. And, and, and there are many countries that are doing this and, and showing successful data. Uh, the cost effectiveness is another, you know, question, but to me, to prevent one death is, you know, there's, there, there's no price. Cardiologist, Dr. Craig Bassman, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. An Arkansas woman who recently won the lottery is giving credit to an unlikely source for the inspiration to buy a ticket. Church. 
Kay Anthony says a church sermon about praising God for things on the way spurred her to purchase a ticket for the January 29th drawing through the Jackpocket lottery app, and it paid off to the tune of $100,000. Jackpocket officials say she had avoided their congratulatory calls for two days, thinking they were scam calls. She eventually learned that it was indeed for real. Arkansas lottery officials say Anthony had initially won 50 grand, but her prize was doubled because she opted for the power play option. As for what she'll do with the winnings, she says she'll remodel her home, take the family on vacation, and save the rest. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. I'm Dana Perino. President Biden isn't getting any younger and is becoming more apparent to voters across the country. This week, I'm joined by Republican strategist and vice president at Targeted Victory, Matt Gorman, as we discuss how these issues are playing out in the primary field. Available now on Apple, Spotify and FoxNewsPodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at FoxNewsPodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Rachel Cruz. What's on your mind? A lot of married couples believe the best way to avoid fighting when it comes to money is just to separate your bank accounts. His paycheck goes into his account, her paycheck goes into hers, and everything is fine, right? But what you don't realize is that money plays such a crucial role in your life. And when you start to separate out money, you start to separate out your unity when it comes to a married couple. Now, I know the idea of combining finances is really controversial these days, And if it wasn't modeled well for you growing up or it's not what you're used to, it can almost feel scary. And so when you realize, no, if we can be at a place where we can be vulnerable, actually talk about what when it comes to money, what we're spending our money on, what we want to invest in, what we want to give to, there becomes this place of unity and depth in your marriage. Because here's the deal. Once you say I do, you become one. And you become one in every aspect of your life. This is a person that you're going to walk your entire life out with. This is the person you're going to raise kids with. This is the person you're going on vacation with. This is the person you're making lifelong decisions with. And this should be the person that you trust when it comes to money. Now, I understand that money, it it involves every part of our lives. And especially if you get married later in life, you have an established life when it comes to your career, when it comes to your expenses. And so it can feel so easy just to run on these two separate tracks. But I want to encourage you to bring it together because money is involved in every part of our lives and it impacts everything. It impacts when we plan for retirement and what we want our retirement to look like to when we buy groceries for the week. I mean, every part of our lives is tied to money. And when you keep it separate, what ends up happening is communication becomes separate and other parts of your life start to be separate. So Combining finances together, not only on a tactical sense, is going to help you when it comes to money, but I promise it's going to help you when it comes to your marriage and the unity that's created. So if you want to start doing this, here's a couple of ways to really play this out. First and foremost, have a conversation with your spouse. Sit down and actually talk about this and be honest. If you are scared of saying, I'm nervous to do this because I feel so established in this and maybe I don't like the way you handle money. Start having those conversations and say, hey, what would it look like to be on the same page and run the same direction? And once you get to that point, number two, block out time on your calendar to combine your accounts. Actually go down to the bank, open up a checking account that you guys share, open up a savings account that you share and look to say, this is our money. It's no longer your paycheck and my paycheck. It's our paycheck as a family. 
And then third, create a budget. And this is going to give you a lot of peace of mind when you can agree on where your money's going. I use an app called Every Dollar, my husband and I do, and we love it because every month we sit down before the month begins and we say, here is what we're going to make this month and here's where our money's going. And it's everything from kids' camps coming up this summer to groceries to saving up for a spring break trip that we're going to take our family on. But you start to actually live life out together when it comes to your money. So I want to encourage you, in order to build a solid marriage, it's going to take time. It's going to take intentionality. It might be uncomfortable at first, but push through that and see yourselves as one because you've already made this huge permanent commitment when it comes to marriage. Now let your money be a part of it. This is Rachel Cruz, author of the book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. Discover why you handle money the way you do and what to do about it. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.